You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 68, covering Loud as a Whisper and the Schizoid Man. Hello, friends. We're back. We are back. We're here to tell you about some more episodes from Season 2. So many more episodes from Season 2 of Star Trek. Exactly too many more. Well, yes. The same amount we always do, except when we don't. No, except when we work with Rinaldi. <laughs> which is always. This week we actually disagree, which is a nice change, because we're usually like, yep, I sure don't like that, and I do like that. Yep, you're mm-hmm. correct, friend. Yep. This week I did not like the first episode we did, and Matt did, so... Uh, yeah. Perhaps his Canadian politeness will allow him to argue with me. Yeah, I doubt it. Yeah, me too. But I wanted to state this up front so that when you start deferring to me... And I will. People remember. Mm -hmm. No, and listen, I invite you to disagree with me. That's, you know, part of the point of doing the show is to have two people who don't always think the same thing. I watching it again, like I get it. <laughs> watching it again just, with my constant heckling, you I just I, don't think I, I hated know. it as much as you did. Well, I don't think I could hate anything as much as you hated yeah, this episode. I, I mean, I played it up a little for comedic effect. When I go back at the end of all of these episodes and I say these are the worst ten, this won't make the list. No, this wouldn't even make the worst like thirty. But so far, this is my least favorite one of season two. I'd say, <laughs> but we've only done six so far. That's true. Actually, uh, I probably hate the outrageous O'Connor more. So, see? But he was so outrageous. Uh, there was nothing outrageous about this one. That's true. Let me... T- uh, you can tell because no one told us 18 <laughs> times. Well, he might have done the sign for outrageous, and then I just misinterpreted it as, like, I'm putting milky. salad dressing on or something. <laughs> I don't know. Unfortunately, ba- ju- based on Matt's laughter... My best material is entirely visual. Yep. <laughs> and I won't be able to convey that to you, but uh, <laughs> rest assured, my interpretations of the deaf guy's uh, sign language is uh, apparently funny. So Yep. So there's that. Let me now tell you about the episode Loud as a Whisper. Loud as a Whisper. First of all, let me say that I thought Where Silence had, Has Lease was Loud as a Whisper. I, I think you can understand my confusion. Mm-hmm. But no, it's loud as And the children shall lead from the cradle. <laughs> no, there's always, yeah, the, the, when the when the bow breaks. When the bow breaks. With the children and the people. All right, so here's a short list of plot elements that I don't like in Next Gen. A jerk ambassador shows up, and Troy immediately falls in love with him. Two planets with roughly 20th century Earth-level technology, populated by plane-boring humans, usually with mullets, are at war with one another. And a strong sense of New Age, crystal-worshipping, touchy-feely nonsense about the power of the human mind overwhelms anything we know about science. Apart from episodes where the crew turns into things that magically turns back, these are all my least favorite things in Next Gen. And Loud as a Whisper has all of these. Alright, in fairness, the planets at war with each other aren't populated by humans this week, but they usually are. Anyway, the episode doesn't stop there. The Ambassador actually manages to outsmug the incredibly smug Enterprise crew of the early seasons. And there's a whole horribly condescending thread about the handy capable that's flat out offensive to anyone who's overcome some physical limitation in their lives. See, this douchey Ambassador guy is deaf, and he has a Greek chorus of three guys, each of whom who speak for a person, certain part of his mind. Then they're killed, and the Ambassador has to learn to do his job without their help. He's deaf, you see. How can he possibly succeed? He succeeds. The filthy warring planets make peace, and we all make a tally mark, and our Troy falls in love in 15 minutes guidebooks. Keep those books handy. We're going to be going back to those quite a bit in the coming months. Yup. So, 
the primary thing I had a real problem with. Well, let me let me I'll go Do into your this. good thing, bad yeah, thing. Yeah, okay. My good thing, um well there was a really cool visual phaser effect when they go to the planet and uh and those uh, alien dudes kill his chorus. Um you you get to see their skeletons. It's pretty cool. I like seeing skeletons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the best thing I could come up with. You show me more skeletons, Star Trek. Yeah. No, I like one of the crew members a skeleton. I think it was Star Trek three where the Klingon disruptors, like you would see a slow sort of disintegrating effect. Yeah, it's the same thing with I think in the most toys, mm. the dude has like a phaser that's like it kills you extremely slowly. Yeah, I like when the visual effect actually shows someone. It's kind of like in uh, Buffy when the staking effect got more elaborate, and you could mm. see their skeletons screaming a second yeah. before they turned to dust. I just I like that. It makes it more horrible. For some reason, I always remember the uh, the Romulan disruptors doing that. They may. I don't think they do. I don't know. We'll find out. We haven't really seen any Romulans seen do anything Romulans other than talk do yet. So fucking anything at all. Oh, they will. There's a. Se- I think it's season three where mm-hmm. it's just Romulan after Romulan, and all the best Romulan plots are all concentrated like in about half a season, and then they go away again. Well, I will look forward to that because right yeah. now all the Romulans have done is say we're back and then be yeah. not back. And then we got a fake out last week or two weeks ago when uh, mm-hmm. when we thought they were back and they weren't. Yep. But now there's, I think it's like the first half of season three where there's like four or five really good Romulan episodes in a row, and mm-hmm. you're like, finally, and then it stops again, and you're like, hey, where'd all the Romulans I go? I was hoping these guys would be a bigger part of it. Anyway, uh, my bad thing. Well, the presence of Geordi means that we've already accepted over a full season ago that disabled people can excel in their own ways, and they're just like everyone else. I mean, to me, that's the best way to accept someone, like, accept something as normal, is just show them as part of the background. Like, oh, by the way, we got a blind guy as our chief engineer. No big deal. No. Uh, But because they called it out constantly, not only through the deaf guy, but also through the deaf guy's similarities between him and Geordi, the episode's point was unnecessary, condescending, and tedious. Now, when you watched this, you didn't get that at all. No, I didn't notice. I just found it, like... Because I love Jordy, and we've said that from day one, and there he is, and, oh yeah, he's blind, so what? Yeah. That's the way you do that. You don't call attention to it. You don't shine a big neon arrow saying, Deaf guy! He's got to overcome adversity! That's just so... Ugh. Not cool. I know. It didn't bother you, did it? Nope. All right. I just, I, it, I wanted to see more of, of, his name's Reva, mm-hmm. and, um, and Jordy doing the whole, like, yeah, we're, we, we got stuff to talk about, because we both are overcoming not having stuff, Ugh. and doing really well with it. Yeah, but Jordy's an engineer, and that guy's an ambassador. They're completely opposite. Yeah, I, I still think they'd have something to talk about. I don't through agree. Through three different people, but yeah. still. I'm a, I'm just not cool also with, he's got guys who just sort of hear his thoughts and convey his thoughts. That doesn't make any sense, first of all, but fine. Okay, it's it's telepathic. I feel so bad for those guys. Yeah, the, their entire jobs are to each represent one third of his personality. The, their they're, job's nothing. These guys live like this. Yeah, and they're basically split up as the id, the ego, and the superego. One of them mm-hmm. is like the, the, the creative part, and one of them is like the, the sexy part, and then one of them is sort of speaking The further. stupid hat-having part, uh, yeah. you know, that, that all people have. No, that's the creative part. That hat is uh, is a creative impulse. Oh, is that what that is? That's yeah. a creative hat. Yeah. No, and then the and then the chick, like the one who looked like a cross between Greg Brady and Wayun from Deep Space Nine, was his uh, sexy part. 
<laughs> Good old Greg Wayun. <laughs> and then um, the the chick was one shoulder supposed pad. to be. I think it's the super ego. I'm, I'm a little rusty in my Freud, but I'm yeah, pretty it's sure it's been a while since Psychology 101. Yeah, but the, I'm pretty sure the super ego is the one that sort of takes the two different halves and sort of you know speaks for both of them and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's that was her job. Um, I just, I, I mean, okay, I don't, I, I think that's dumb. I think there's not much science there, but okay, fine. We live in a world where there's telepaths. Maybe that's a thing. All right. But I don't know. It just, it was so clumsy and the guy was so arrogant and just everything about it was just annoying. He was so like about 10 minutes in, I started calling him ambassador hubris <laughs> because it was just like, obviously he's going to fail because he thinks he can't fail. I mean, that's yep. so telegraphed here. That dude is so pleased with himself. Yeah. And um, I will give it credit. Uh, the the guy they had playing the, the deaf ambassador is an actual deaf actor. And mm-hmm. that is a good move rather than casting. Because <laughs> there's not a huge range for, you know, for actors who can't speak. Right. And I'm assuming he can't. I don't actually know that, but I'm assuming that. Um, uh. <laughs> so it's good that they gave him a role, you know, rather than giving it to someone who had their hearing just fine. Right. And I, I feel like that's important, too, because he does some really decent like face acting and stuff too oh he does and i'm assuming the script is what says be smug and he be so fucking smug yep like he does exactly what they told him to do he's got you need to be more smug and he just nods and you know he's got his fingers (laughs) in his fake lapels like he doesn't have lapels but he's got his fingers where his lapels would be yep and just like doing this yep i'm so pleased with myself god it's awesome to be reva yep but the real thing, the big thing that I just ugh, really bugs me is Troy falls in love with him in 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. She does this all the time. And I can't hold this against the show yet because we haven't gotten there yet. So let's just focus on this one. They go on their first date and immediately he tells two of his three chorus guys to stay behind. He brings the libido and leaves the other two behind because uh, I guess he's going to get late on the first date. Yeah, he isn't going to need any intelligent conversation. No, right he now. doesn't need the creative part, and he doesn't need the articulate part. He, he just, just needs the he, he just needs the dude to sit inside and go, "Oh yes, baby." In fairness, he did send him away when he thought things were going to get a little more intimate. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. But yeah, still. Yeah, he's. I mean, he, he kept the groiny part there the whole time. <laughs> just not. This is my groin. And and Troy. The thing is, if they had written Troy a little. Like, well, I just met you. Let's get to know each other first. If they, you know, but no, completely just falls for it instantly. And like the first thing he says is, "You're beautiful. We should spend some time together." And she's like, "Yes, I'd like that." Like, really? Do you have no dignity at all? I have no idea. I had no idea how beautiful you sounded. Yeah, just <laughs> for a second, just pretend that you're trying to be professional before you fall and like have a crush on every boy. Well, of course she falls in love with him. He's a Reva. Well, look at his giant feathered hair. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing. Looking at the guy's big red beard makes me want to go <laughs> shave immediately. Because, Matt, be honest with me. Do I look like that? No. Oh, thank God. Because, ah. And see, and that's how you keep your co-host placated. <laughs> that, I mean, because I try to go for more Riker beard, but I'm always worried that I look, you know, like that. I have never felt the need to run up and try to shave your beard off. Okay, good. That guy, I couldn't stop thinking about it the entire episode. I just, get over here! And in fairness, you know, it is 1989, and that is the style of the time. It's just unfortunate that it's now locked in in the amber that is Star Trek and, and immortalized forever. Yep. Uh, so what about you? Good thing, bad thing? Uh, I like my good thing. I like this one. 
mm-hmm. well enough. <laughs> well, of course, compared to Al, anyone likes this. No, one. I you know I'm exaggerating. It's fine. It's not. It's just got a lot of elements that I'm going to hate more later. And I'm kind of holding it, like, I'm holding this responsible for stuff that hasn't happened yet, and that's not mm-hmm. really fair. Uh, I like the dialogue. There's a lot, there's, especially early on, there's some some less sort of, like, stiff scenes from Picard when Riker comes and visits him in his office. Oh, yeah, the thing that Picard did do this week. Yes, watching his little hologram thing, looking completely like I did when I used to smoke pot. There is, there is so much more hologram action in this show than I remember and that you apparently remember either. There's, like, so much three-dimensional display stuff happening in people's yeah. quarters and the ready room and all that. And, like, I don't remember any of this. That looks pretty cool. It was the first episode, right, where they do it for the, they do it for the first time in the first episode. We're like, wow, they never did this again. Oh, wait. They and they it do it lot. two or three more times in season yeah. one and then this again. And, it, yeah, I just – maybe it goes away at some point or maybe we just didn't notice it at all. I'm so glad I'm not the only one who didn't notice it, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the plot. I like, uh, there's no, like, real, like, aside from getting turned into a skeleton, there's no real danger to the crew. It's all just about, like, like, getting this, these two fucking melted people to work together as friends. Yeah, and I'll, I'll give it credit as far as, you know, the story, like, the basic structure. This character has a clear arc. Yeah. He's got to overcome, you know, whatever. And, and putting aside the fact that I find it a little condescending. You know, it's it's a solidly constructed plot with a basic, you know, he's trying to do this to bring these people together, and that's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my bad thing, I fucking, Reva's a douchebag. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's a douchebag, and, and his Greek chorus is fucking, is completely fucking stupid. Yeah. It's no, such a dumb fucking idea. And we talked about, like, ways that they maybe could have made it a little cooler. But I, in general, this just feels like the sort of touchy-feely pseudoscience that Next Gen does a little too often. Mm-hmm. doesn't really make any sense. And it's just like, somebody thought this was a good idea because it's sort of an abstract, dramatic representation of something. But it, it yeah. doesn't really work for me. Yeah. Now, we, we spend a good chunk of this episode talking about ways the episode would be better. Well, yeah. And mine would be like I don't know, make it, uh, make it, make it good, make it measure of a man. Well, yes. Or you know, best of both worlds, or Sarek, or any episode. Now, I, I spent a big chunk of this episode being fascinated by the Greek chorus guys, and they don't—they just aren't that important to the episode. And all I can think of is like, well, what if Troy fell in love with one of these dudes? Like, what do you do if you fall in love with a guy who is, first of all, part of this other dude? Yeah, and they could have done a, a, an interesting thing where, because he's supposed to be, like, royalty or something. Yeah. And they could have done an interesting thing where these guys are some sort of lower social case cast, however you say that. I mm-hmm. never actually heard that word spoken out loud. I've only seen it written. Um, <laughs> but a lower social order where they're not given the same rights and they're almost sort of like slaves and that could have been... Willikins! <laughs> come I want in. you to come over here and talk for me. Be my Greek chorus. Oh, does that mean you'll be silent, sir? Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, heavens now. I shall also be my Greek chorus. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I think, I don't know, they also suffer from the very unfortunate uh, thing that Riva himself does, which is the late 80s. The costumes yep. and hair do not do them any credit at all. No. And I think part of the reason that I hang the whole uh, touchy-feely New Age thing on here is because there were, like, New Age wind chimes, like, throughout the soundtrack for this whole episode. That didn't help. Mm-hmm. 
At least it wasn't. At least it wasn't synthesizers. No, but they still just haven't settled on the the classic orchestra sound yet, which just yeah. looks so much better for me. Yep. Um, the the pacing was weird. Like I like you point out that there's not a huge amount of danger. There's not a lot at stake, which in a sense is cool. Mm-hmm. Like I like sometimes when Next Gen does episodes where they're just sort of more quiet and thoughtful and character based. Yeah, we don't always have to end like. With the crew being in danger from being killed but or that, turned into skeletons. But that said, we have grown so accustomed, so accustomed to the end of an act means someone's in danger and you need a reason to tune in after the commercial that it really threw us that the first scene before the credits is just them beaming down and then you get a wide shot, here they are, and then it fades. I'm like, um, Yeah. So? It's like the scene ends on the dramatic... On the dramatic life-threatening, let's-explore-a-house yep. scene. We're, we're in a room, dun-dun-dun. And that's it. Space. The final frontier. Very strange. Uh, oh, and then um, about, I don't know, 85 to 87% of the episode is them describing a table. Yep. Which is <laughs> which is great. Al didn't mention this in his summary, but another thing he really hates is when people on Star Trek describe furniture. It only comes up in one other episode, so I, don't, I wouldn't really call it a trope exactly. But you hate it so much. It was a chair. Ugh. <laughs> we'll get there. We, we will With get With scissors. There. Yeah. <laughs> Overall, I, oh, there's a there's a scene I would have liked if it hadn't been in this episode between uh, Jordy and Pulaski, where Pulaski wants to fix Jordy. Mm-hmm. And I like, uh, Amanda and I, noticed this a couple of years ago when we made a pass through the show. There's a, there's, and I don't know if it's deliberate or if it's just sort of accidental, but Pulaski seems to favor risky surgeries, sort of a mad science approach. Like mm-hmm. she wants to go out on a limb and try crazy shit. And she's got this idea of, I don't know, cloning him eyes. What is that what it was? Cloning him eyes? Yeah, it was cloning him eyes or, um, that was, it, it was cloning him. Something eyes. that could make him see normally, but could completely fuck him up somehow. Yeah. And, this comes up a few more times. I like that. I like a doctor character that kind of wants to take crazy chances and, and all that sort of thing. I also sure. like that, like like we said when we watched Farpoint, I get the impression that Jordy has this conversation with every new doctor that comes along. Yeah. Oh, you want to fix my eyes, huh? Only this time she's like, well, yeah, I can. Uh, what? Yeah. And we find out that uh, Jordy is in constant pain with that thing. Yeah, I didn't know that. And yeah, I did. That's an interesting little development. Well, you know, he's he. That's just one of the things he's always has to live with, and eventually, it just becomes sort of a dull background pain. I imagine. Oh, sure. But uh, oh, and uh, Troy almost gets to be useful where she briefly considers taking over for Reva when he's too sad and and throwing a temper tantrum to do his own job. Yep. But then she decides not to. That would have been a great direction for her. I really would. Yeah. No, I, we were talking. That was the other way we would have improved the episode was having Reva coaching her and Picard through doing it. Yeah, that would have been great. Yeah. But all right. Anything else? Instead, no. Not so much. Um. N- no. All right. Then we will go to my quote, which is uh, after they uh, come back after the disastrous away mission. Picard's trying to communicate with Reva, and he decides, well, the guy's deaf, so I better do this. And he grabs the sides of his head, and he addresses him thusly. I'm sorry, I, I don't know what you are trying to tell me. We have to find some way to communicate with him. Data, he knows some kind of gestural language. Find out which one and learn it. Aye, sir. Counselor, take him to sick bay. Maybe Pulaski can help Listen to me. You are not alone. Do you understand? We 
are all in this together. Now. But um, my quote my quote for this week is exactly what Reva hears. <laughs> by the way, the use of the word thusly is uh by permission of drunken time travel. <laughs> All right, Matt, why don't you tell us about... I feel like I need to open a beer now. (laughs) Why don't you tell us about the schizoid man? Maybe I will tell you about the schizoid man. I dare you to. I'm going to. All right. All right, so the Enterprise is diverted from whatever it was going to do to go save the life of crotchety old man Ira Graves, because all the medical ships in the universe are busy or whatever, but never mind. Suddenly, the Enterprise is called away to do something else, and an emergency drop-off beam-up is called, or beam-down is called for, resulting in tension, and Troy being briefly imprisoned in a wall. Landing party consists of Troy, Worf, Data, and Foxy Vulcan Dr. Salar, who quickly verifies that Graves is dying of old man syndrome, a disease that kills 100% of all old men it infects. Symptoms include being a drain on your loved ones, being angry that things are different from the way they used to be, and generally irritating me. Graves apparently knew Dr. Nu- Dr. Noonien Soong and Data's brother Lor. Lor. And he insists that Data call him Grandpa. He and Data spend some time bonding, and Graves tells Data of his creation of a technology that will allow dying old men to transfer their brains into the bodies of unsuspecting androids. Later, Data tells everyone that Graves has died, and everyone remarks on how strange he, Data, has been acting. After the traditional Starfleet funeral of flushing the body into space without telling any friends or relatives the disease might have, business returns to usual as the Enterprise ferries Graves' cute assistant to some starbase or other. Meanwhile, Data continues to act strange, to the point of whistling and repeating phrases Graves said when he was alive, because the writers of this episode think that we are drooling idiots. Graves, in Data's body, for that is what happened if you're, sl- if you're one of the slow kids, first hits on his assistant and then beats up Geordi. Picard, meet Picard? Picard meets up with him in engineering and manages to talk him into shutting himself off via the ambassadorial technique of getting his ass kicked. Graves, regret, Graves regrets his attempts to stave off death and has his brain transferred from Data's body into the Enterprise's computer. Because that's much less scary. <laughs> and his brain is just floating in the body or in the in the mind of the computer now. No problem yep. at all. Where will be no trouble at all. Uh-huh. Uh, good thing, bad thing? Uh, where did I put that? I don't know. Where did you put it? Oh, here we go. Uh, I really like this one, too. Uh, I love Spiner as Graves as Data. He's c- creepy. Mm-hmm menacing and unsettling and just I, I love when they take data who's a character we really like who's really innocent and you know he doesn't hurt anybody and what spiner cranks up the creep creepiness and it's completely unsettling i i like that too and i think he does a great job here however i think they go to that well too many times and again i can't hold that against this episode oh i completely agree but it but happens in- like five times a season here on out yeah. and it's like Spiner's great at that, but the whole point is that it's a contrast between the way Data usually is. You need to let him be like that most of the time. Yeah. And it's the same way with uh, Spock, actually. Spock smiled and cried and stuff way too often. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, like, that still hasn't become a thing yet. At yeah. the end of this episode, when uh, Picard goes to confront him, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Graves is doing this sort of creepy sing-song thing while he watches him in engineering, it's really off-putting. It is. And the the scene they have at the end there where Picard actually talks him you know, into getting out of data is actually yep. really good, and they both carry it really well. Yeah. the And the scene where he loses his shit on the bridge. Yep. Like, this is a guy who could fucking tear you in half. Yep. He totally has the power to, to like, you know, knock Worf on his ass with a finger. Well, look, everyone. I know, ass. but I like to pretend that Worf is actually strong. <laughs> 
Uh, and my bad thing is, once again, this episode clearly thinks we're idiots the way it had to drop all these completely obvious hints to something we we all guessed about a second after it happened. Yeah, and, and going back the second time, I counted, and from the point where we first see the first hint of it until it's actually revealed, 20 minutes. Yeah. The episode's only 45 minutes long. Yeah. That's way too long. It's not even a mystery. Like, it's not a mystery. There's better ways to do this. Yeah. They could have just not made it a mystery and just completely, you know... Or yeah. made it a mystery to the crew, but not to us, or something. I don't know. Well, the thing is, making it a mystery to the crew just makes the crew look stupid. Yeah. Well, that is also true. Like, there's an extended se- sequence in Picard's ready room where he pieces it together. Yeah. And just like, uh-huh, come on, honey, you've almost got it. Yeah, one more one more step and you're there. Okay. There you go. Come on. Yeah. All right, well, I have a good thing written down here, and I'm going to get to that. But my real good thing is, holy fuck, Dr. Salar, Jesus. Oh my god. I have such a crush on her and you know, not not in a sick way. I she's whole she's hey, you don't say anything bad about my girl. Nobody drinks from Al's girl. Our our love is pure. <laughs> well, my love is pure. She's a Vulcan. Mm-hmm. But every seven years our love is pure. <laughs> Purely hot. No, uh that's uh Susie Plaxon who will uh go on to play Kalar uh Worf's um well, Worf's nothing but uh, Alexander's mother. They never get married or anything. So <laughs> Worf's nothing. Well, I was going to say Worf's wife, but no. Worf's girl? No. No, they don't Worf. stay together long enough. Alexander's mother. Worf's hot evening. Yes. She shows up a couple of times, but yeah. Um, but no, she's great, and apparently she also shows up in Voyager as Q's wife, but I'm trying not to think about that right now. That's nah. retardo. Speaking of uh, actors who turn up again... Uh, the dude who played Ira Graves, and I don't have the actor's name in front of me now, but I looked this up a minute ago. Uh, I recognized him as the Klingon prison warden in uh, Star Trek VI. This is the Gulag Rurapente! That guy. Mm. Uh, he was missing an eye. and um, Somebody stole my eye. Yeah, he, and he did it with a bit of a Russian accent, too, which I liked. <laughs> Probably because I gave him the word Gulag, and he just kind of latched onto that. Uh, but what I didn't recognize him as was the one of the uh, Vulcans on the... Um, Science Council in uh, the 2009 Star Trek movie, where uh, he's like, uh, we're particularly impressed that you performed so admirably considering your handicap. What handicap? Your human mother. Like, that's the same guy. Mm-hmm. And he apparently was also in Voyager, but I haven't seen that, so. <laughs> Who cares? But, I mean, the dude's played four different distinctly, you know, different roles and different races in Star Trek, yep. which is very cool. Uh, but my actual good thing is mm-hmm. uh, this is actually kind of a sweet story. It gives data some, someone to learn from and do shtick with. Yep. I wish the scenes with Graves had been longer because the character is genuinely sort of quirky and, and kind of um, eccentric, but kind of lovable in a gruff yeah. old man kind of way. And he's a great counterpoint to data. He doesn't talk down to data. He, he like understands what he is. He actually calls him a man. Yeah. Unlike everyone else who meets Data for the first time and is kind of standoffish, he's like, yeah, so how's it going, Data? Yeah, no, I, I would have, th- this episode could have benefited greatly from more time with those two together and less time with him just as Data. Yeah, I agree. Um, <laughs> I particularly like, there's a there's a bit where he's like, Dr. Graves, call me Grandpa. Grandpa? And he just, <laughs> the, the Spiner's comedic timing where he just completely does not miss a beat and rolls with it and just immediately yep. starts calling him Grandpa. Calling him Grandpa is funny, but the the total lack of hesitation makes it so much funnier. Well, and I mean, that makes perfect sense for Dana. No, it does. It's just, it's just like, call me Grandpa. All right, you're Grandpa. 
But it's it's one of those that was easy. It's one of those nice little touches that Spiner gives the the character that maybe another actor may, might not have. Right. Which is the total lack of hesitation when someone tells him to do something, he immediately does it and doesn't even think about it. Yeah. And it's 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 something you wouldn't really think of unless someone didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and my bad thing. Uh, I know I've been I'm bitching a lot about what I don't like in Star Trek. There's so many things I like about Star Trek, and I hate that all this stuff is coming up here and now. But again, pseudoscience. The idea of someone downloading their personality into a machine didn't make sense when it happened in the original series. It won't make sense when they do it again in Star Trek. It just, it doesn't, the human brain is not a machine. It doesn't work like that. I just, consciousness doesn't go there. It doesn't work. I don't like it. Yeah, it doesn't really bother me. I don't like possession. But I mean, I apparently have a bigger suspension of disbelief than you. I don't like possession episodes is the thing, and this kind of falls under that for me. I think this is a, as logical a possession thing as you could get. I suppose. I don't know. I, I The thing is, I'm willing to buy into that. I don't mm-hmm. like the premise, but because the acting was good enough and the character was strong enough, I was willing to look past it. But I mean, I still like, don't like this is this makes more sense than the time O'Brien's horrible wife was possessed by a by a uh, by a dead Bajoran god. Yeah, or the seven or eight times that Troy would be possessed by things. Everything. Yeah, actually, that makes the most sense. That she would then empathic. fall in love with. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just well, at least she's pretty. I I'll, yeah, she is. But so <laughs> is Doctor Salar. Maybe they could be pretty together. Yeah would be all right um <laughs> and we descended quickly into creepy yeah see story. we've done a very good job i think of, of trying <laughs> to talk about women being represented fairly in star trek and so forth and now you've just undone all of that yeah to, ah fuck it yeah you know it would be hot if they made out yeah well yeah it would <laughs> no i honestly think i don't know if it was deliberate or not but i do think season two of this show has made a concerted effort deliberate or not to improve the, the the lot of women on the enterprise yeah like they realized that all they had was troy and crusher and and tasha last year and they're like we need to do better and dr salar is just there she's there yep. she's capable it's fine and uh, you got you got pulaski who i know you have your differences with but is still a strong character mm-hmm. you have guinan you you know they're, they're really doing better with that in her defense, she did nothing to piss me off this week. They did a they did a really good scene at the beginning of this episode where they establish why she's not there. Yeah, which is we have a medical emergency, and she's like, "Nope, I need to I need to go take care of that. This is yeah. just one dude, and I'm you know, I need to help on a bigger scale." Sure. No, I just I thought it was important rather than just saying she's not here this week, just giving her a ten second scene and going off and doing something else. Mm-hmm. I I like that better. Yep, I like Sealar better. Well, yes, and I wish she replaced both uh, Pulaski and Crusher. That would be fine with me, and I would be fine with that. I, um, I think the way Doctor Solar, she was only in there really for about five or ten minutes, but sure, the way they played her, this is the first speaking Vulcan we've had that isn't Spock. Yeah, I think it's important that they establish that they're not all like that. She was, she seemed kind of cool with humans, like she had a bedside manner. She mm-hmm. showed up to Graves' funeral, which she had no real reason to do. Like, she seemed more respectful of humans than Spock was. Because she didn't have that chip on her shoulder. She didn't have anything to prove. Yeah. And I just, I feel like it would have been nice to see a Vulcan who was a little more toned down in that respect. Like, mm-hmm. keeping her around would have been a cool way to explore their culture from a completely different angle. Yeah. And see, uh, not put her in Pond Far every 15 minutes. Well, yes. 
See, I think that's really interesting because I know the the character uh, goes on to be in the Peter David uh, <laughs> in Peter David's fanfic extravaganza. Yes, yeah, exactly in Peter David's fanfic extravaganza, uh-huh. uh, the New Frontier books, which are some of my favorite Trek books. Sure. And watching this episode, Peter David apparently did not get her character at all because she is nothing like this. Well, in fairness, she was there. Like I extrapolated a lot from what little we saw, mm-hmm. and apparently you extrapolated a lot, a lot of very different things from the, from what he extrapolated from the character. Well, you know, this is her only appearance. They mention her off screen mm-hmm. a few more times, but this is the only time you see her. Thankfully, as mm-hmm. I said, Susie Plexen will <laughs> Susie Plexen will return in. And <laughs> Kalar has sex with Worf. <laughs> on Star Trek the next generation yeah um, do we want to talk about that opening scene or are we going to spoil your quote if we do that uh, you know what let's play the quote and then we'll talk about the scene very well so why, why don't you give us some setup here alright this is uh, Data's newest attempt to be human presumably picked up from one of the other cat from one of the other bridge crew members <laughs> who knows who yes I can't imagine. Let's just roll into that. Come in. Data? Jordy? Is Counselor Troy with you? Yes, I'm here, Data. Jordy said you wanted to see us. Indeed. Or stated more correctly, I wanted you to see me. Can we come in? Please. Did you damage your face, Dana? It is a beard, Geordie. A fine, full, dignified beard. One which commands respect and projects thoughtfulness and dignity. Well, opinions? It's, um, very different. When I stroke the beard thusly, do I not appear more... Intellectual. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to go now. With the <laughs> Why was she laughing? And if you want a good look at that image, uh, that is the cover art this week, because what else could it possibly be? Yeah. Well, Dr. Salar, but no, it, it should be that. <laughs> I love, this is maybe the first time they do this, but they will do this more. When it really feels like they're people and they're not on duty and like there's the great bit where Troy's trying not to laugh and she really for the first time feels like a person. She plays that so well. Marina Sirtis, I think, is better at, well, first of all, they don't give Troy anything good to do. That's part of it. But whenever they're off duty and they're making fun of each other or having fun or, you know, just doing normal people, hanging out with your friends stuff, she's great at Mm -hmm. that. Yep. And, and. That sounds easy, but it's not. She carries a lot of subtle stuff that the others sometimes come off as acting, and she does it very naturally. Like there's a definite talent there. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not. I'm not just throwing her a bone. Well, she's good at pretending not to laugh. No, no, she genuinely is good yeah. at that, though. No, and and I don't know. I like that, and they. I like that they open with this completely unrelated scene. Yeah. Apart from the fact that the story needed a little bit of. Data's still trying to be human. That helps. Well, it's enough, it, 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 it's definitely the best way that they can sort of bring up. Yeah, it helps yeah, set Data. that this up. Is, especially if since you've never seen a Trek episode before, here's a robot. Yeah, exactly. He's trying to be human. It's, it's, he still, grew a beard. it's still a relatively new show. Mm-hmm. And if someone's tuning in for the first time, yeah, they get the, they get the shorthand. 
while we, the people who've been watching it from day one, get a funny little scene. I think the only missed opportunity there is they didn't take a dig at Riker, which in later seasons they totally would do. Yeah, no, this that seems so obvious. But, and, and again, I I feel like they've done a good job, and I think this was on purpose, of gradually making these people more friendly. Like, at mm-hmm. the beginning they were very stiff and they addressed each other by their last names. Yeah. And now they're starting to go hang out in each other's quarters and hang out in Ten Forward and go on holodeck adventures and, like... Yep. And, and the next step to that is they're going to start ribbing each other. Yep. And there's a lot well, of... the next step is poker games. Well, right, the poker games. But then there's, you know, there's a lot of, like, making fun of each other and, and sarcastic remarks. And the the one I always think of is season six or seven where... Uh, and this is Troy and Riker, and they've been friends forever, but, but Crusher joins in a little, too. And she's like, play Nightbird! <laughs> Where she's just like, like it's it. The, the thing is, he's playing his trombone, and it's a song he's never been able to play. Uh-huh. And she's just like, he's like, requests it, he requests, and she's like, play Nightbird. <laughs> just like being a dick, and that's that, that's the kind of scene I mean. Like they'll mm-hmm. they'll do more of that as they become more friendly with one another. They start kind of playfully being jerks to each other. It's 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 a really nice sort of progression to see yeah. from because right now Troy's forward. trying to be polite, and even though Data doesn't have feelings, she doesn't want to hurt them, and she right. runs away before she starts cracking up. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, and I, it, but the Jordy and Data thing is nice here too because Jordy's always ready to defend Data. Yep. No matter what, like everyone's like, I don't know, he's acting weird. Well, he might just be trying too hard. He really does want to be human. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know. No, we got the bit with uh with Picard talking to him. You're his best friend. What the hell's wrong with him? Yep. I like that they they immediately like the the producers have figured that out already cuz Yeah. taking too much longer to get to that would have been unfortunate. That's Yeah, well, I mean, very clearly they seem to hit it off with the elementary dear data. It's like, yeah. okay, we got this now. I, and there's a lot of other things that still need to fall into place, but that is a major. I'm trying to think real quick and off the top of my head, I can't think of any other character pairing any other two characters that have a relationship that i like quite as much as those two nope like Riker and troy is nice and picard and beverly's okay and so on and so on but uh, data and jordy really feel like actual friends yeah and i think that's one of the reasons why the the, the two of them are my favorite characters yeah. like i love those guys and a similar vibe carries over in ds9 when it's o'brien and bashir yes where it's guys who go on holodeck adventures together <laughs> they're the best of friends they are I don't know why his wife is jealous. There's nothing like that going on there. No, of course not. Why would that happen? Yeah. Shut up, Keiko. <sighs> Horrible wife. She's not oh, there, God. at least. Still. Ugh. So, what else? Ugh. Um. Let's see here. Let's check I'm, I'm, yeah, here. me too. I'm, I'm happy that Graves didn't try to take over the Enterprise, because usually when someone possesses someone, that's what oh, happens. Yeah. That that's step two. He just first <laughs> step one become data. Step two take over the enterprise. Step three profit. No step three question marks. Step four profit. <laughs> Presumably step three involves Ferengi in some way. No, of course. Yeah, but he didn't. He just wanted to be data, and he wanted to seduce his his cute assistant. <clears throat> Other than that, not a whole lot of plans. No, not really. He just didn't <laughs> want to okay. die. Okay, become data. Yep. Fuck this chick. Live forever. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Yeah, I'd be all right with that. 
Uh, let's see what else. The, the dumping the body into space. You talked about that, but I feel like this, oh, yeah. this requires a little more. I want to bring I want to bring this up because we do the uh, we did, we did the uh, the old Star Trek tradition of dude dies. Let's have a funeral for him where we stick him into a uh, into a photon torpedo uh, tube and flush him out the door. This was I don't think a torpedo tube because it actually had a window for his head. Right. Whereas you had to have the thing open to see Spock, and then you closed it. And it was just a tube. Uh, I just assume that they're torpedo tubes. No, why do you have coffins? Pretty sure. Well, I mean, they could replicate a coffin. I guess that's true. They, you can replicate anything that doesn't have like complex moving parts. So, well, then you should replicate a good coffin. Eh, it's it needs to look futury. Yeah, Plus, yeah, everyone's yeah. seen Star Trek Two, so they kind of expect that. He did look like Lenin in his tomb, though. I <laughs> totally I expected did. a line of Soviet uh, Soviet proletariat like lining up outside to, to you know <laughs> pay the respects, comrade. But yeah, then they just beam him out into space. Like, why don't you just disintegrate him? Why clutter? I mean, I know space is enormous, like infinitely huge, and it doesn't really matter. But why are we littering space with our corpses, really? Yeah, like seriously. I love. We cut to a shot outside of the ship where we get to see the uh, the coffin sort of drift. And by. that feels like a, that feels like a gift to the um, to the special effects guys. Here's something fun for yeah. you to do, but there's really no I... need for it. I just, I kept thinking I was going to see the uh, three Kryptonian criminals in the <laughs> zone fly by. Well, you know, space actually isn't, like I said, it was infinitely big, but it's actually quite small. Oh, well, yeah. It's actually the size of a small parking lot. <laughs> and that's why people are always bumping into each yeah, other. Yeah, he's going to bump into seven or eight Voyager probes out there. Yep. Fall into a convenient black hole, get assimilated by the Borg. He'll have all kinds, there should be a whole series of spin-off novels about Ira Graves' corpse. Weekend at Iris. I would I would call it Beyond the Graves, but that's fine too. <laughs> oh, I hate you. <laughs> hey, come God, on. This just be what it's like to work with me. Come on, that was right off the top of my head, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually I need to come up with you know, keep that written down and save this for later. <laughs> Alright, you win this round. <laughs> um what else? Anything? Um, not a terrible episode overall, just a little, the the mystery thing was a little dumb. Like it could have, they could have insulted our intelligence a little less, but, uh, Mm -hmm. it's not bad. Again, I would say even given my contentious feelings for last, for the previous episode, both of these are better than anything in season one. That's certainly true. We are continuing the trend of a substantially improved season there. This, at the beginning of the season, we, you know, a lot of stuff got better and it continues to get better. Yeah, the, like... We haven't got anything truly great yet, but everything no. is so much better than it was last year, still. Yeah, just, it's leagues ahead of it. Of, yeah. I of would say, apart one. from the outrageous Okana, this entire season has, you know, been twice as good as, as the, the one that preceded it. Well, and the child. Eh, the child had half a good plot. That's true. Like I said, ignore the Troy stuff. There was a lot of just incidental stuff going on that I liked. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the Troy thing was garbage. We were definitely, like... TNG is definitely improving. Oh, they've turned a corner and... And it's definitely moving towards the awesome stuff that we'll be getting to yeah. in, what, season three? Well, season three is, you know, a lot of great stuff. But season, like, as as I've hinted at before, a um, little bit later this season, Measure of Man, which is the first great episode of, of the series. Mm-hmm. And Q-Who, which I also quite like. And there's a few Q-Who. others this season. Plus Q-Who, way better title than Hide and Q. Hide and Q. Yep. This title makes more sense than anything. <laughs> the schizoid man say that it doesn't. The schizoid man didn't exactly make sense, but at least it sounds like a Star Trek title. 
That could totally, totally sounds be, like a Star Trek. That could, Kirk totally could have like it, it could have been a Kirk and Spock episode, the Schizoid Man. That easily yep. loud as a whisper probably could have been too. Actually, yeah. No, they're both very Trek sounding names. Yeah. Whereas hide and Q, just no, honey, no. Go hide and then Q. <laughs> it's not even a pun. It's not anything. That's what's expected of you this episode. Yeah. All right. Anything else? Also, you thought I was Data, but really I'm Q. Boogity boogity. <laughs> I'll act like you for 20 minutes, and maybe you'll catch on eventually. Or maybe you won't. Probably won't. Nah. All right. All right. Any further business? No. All right. There is no more business. No. None whatsoever. Um, there's a video making the rounds that I will link to. We occasionally do show notes oh, for this yeah. show. <laughs> Someone has stitched together a compilation of Worf being verbally denied Everything, everything he suggests in every meeting, we should go to Red Alert, no. We should do this, no. We shouldn't trust them, no. Over and over again. Um, it's sort of a companion piece to that one that was making the rounds a year or two ago where Worf keeps getting knocked on his ass. Yep. Just between those two things, you never realize. And I think it's lazy writing, I really do. I think it's, for instance, showing someone that's strong enough to best Worf is supposed to say... He's so strong, he can defeat Worf. Yeah. But because they did it every single week, it was meaningless. It's like, well, everyone's stronger than Worf. Just like having Worf call out a plot inconsistency is like the writer saying, yeah, we know. We don't care. Yeah. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't make it better. It just means he's acknowledging it. It just makes Worf look stupid. Yeah, it does. And, again, he's a character I like, but he doesn't really come into his own until he gets to DS9. Although, I mean, DS9 became infinitely more appealing to me when Worf moved over. Like, I did like him True. before that. I like this ensemble. I really do. And yeah. despite the fact that they never give Council Troy anything good to do, and despite the fact that Beverly never gets anything good to do, I mm -hmm. like the entire ensemble. Like, the, the, the core seven guys that, you know, when Beverly comes back, that's it. The ensemble. Yeah. Uh, you know, they just, they have great chemistry together. They're, they're mm -hmm. great. I do enjoy that. I, one of the other thing, the other thing I like, um, once you get known, once you get well known enough for doing something like the way we do this show, mm -hmm. uh, the same, people start sending you stuff. Oh yeah. Uh, when that episode, when that little video thing became popular, I got to watch as like 18 different people send out a link. Yeah. All of whom said, have you seen this yet? Yeah. Or and I, right up your alley. I absolutely did not want to be the, oh, yeah, I got this already. Thanks. <laughs> like, I no, because I think it's awesome and I want to encourage people. No, it is awesome. Yeah. It happens to me with Batman all the time. Yeah, it, no, and it happens to the Gavs with Doctor Who and, you know, like, yeah. that's the thing you're into. Yeah. And the thing is, they want to, I'm pretty sure they want to send this to you also, but they know I'll send it to you, so. Well, that's true. You do send it to me. Yeah. Or we'll talk about it on the show. There's actually something that was making the rounds this week as well that I think I want to hold on to to our next supplemental because it might be. Yeah, no, that'll be good for the next sup supplemental episode. Yeah, I got a good guest picked out for that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, next week we are doing um, a Pulaski-centric episode, which my wife Amanda has asked to join us because she wants to join me in beating Matt down over the Pulaski issue. Fine, fine. Uh, also a Klingon. That's that's fine. I won't have to get her a birthday present. <laughs> also a Klingon episode. Ooh. Which will be nice. Well, I assume it's called A Matter of Honor. How could it not be a Klingon episode? Well, that uh, last one wasn't. Yeah. Uh, fuck, what was it called? Uh, a Code of Honor. 
Code of Honor, yeah. Yeah, that was not a Klingon episode. No, I'm 90% sure this is the Riker goes uh, on an exchange program to a Klingon ship episode. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, looks like a fun week next week, so looking forward to that. Uh, as always, uh, if you want to send us email, it is podcast at algar.com or the voicemail 206-973-3982. Uh, our book is available for pre-order. It is delightful. Please buy it. Yes, it is. It is great looking. Uh, Matt has has tested it on his uh, electronic reader. I have tested it on mine. That version will be available shortly after the print version, so you can yep. you can read it on your your little glowing device. It's pretty great. Yeah, it's you know there was I opened that I finally got it to work and I opened it up on my or on my Kobo, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just like this is so fucking cool. Yeah, we wrote this. Look at this. Looks like a real I wrote book. A thing, and now it's on my little computer device. Yep. I love everything. Yeah, this is uh, just like in Star Trek. Yep. Now I need a stack of these, one for each book that I want to read. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we will return next week. So until then, Matt, say your thing. See ya, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2012. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.